0: This is Issues in Perspective with Dr. Jim Ackman, President of Grace University. Issues in Perspective provides a weekly overview of news that pertains to your Christian life and is designed to help you discern and interpret issues that affect you in light of God's truth. Here is Dr. Jim Ackman to help you think biblically about these issues. Welcome and thank you for being with me today on our program Issues in Perspective. In a first perspective on the program today I'd like to ask and answer the question is history moving from the West to the East. Historian Yal Ferguson has written several insightful articles and actually a book as well over the past few years that have helped me to understand the ongoing shift from the West to the East that's going on in our world today. A new order to our world is emerging, and in this perspective, I seek to make sense of it. First of all, Ferguson argues that over the last 500 years, The West, and that would be Western Europe, the United States, Canada as well, has had five what he calls killer applications that explain its dominance of the world in every sense, militarily, financially, socially, and in setting the world's agenda. Let me summarize those. Number one, competition. Europe was politically fragmented, and within each monarchy or republic, There were multiple competing corporate entities. There was no tight, centrally controlled and dominating entity uh, dominated and controlled all aspects of European life, especially the economic dimension of European life. It was a very politically fragmented continent, and those continent fragmentation provided the competition between these different countries. Number two, and this is extremely important, was the scientific revolution of the 17th century, the 1600s. All major breakthroughs in mathematics, astronomy, physics, chemistry, and biology occurred in Western Europe, and that was an incredibly important, what he calls, killer application. Number three, Ferguson cites the rule of law in representative government the optimal system of social and political order emerged in the English-speaking world based on property rights and the representation of property owners in elected legislatures. And that representative government then became the basis for the rule of law. And of course, that would flower in the balanced government that the United States would put together, the checks and balance of dividing power into executive, legislative, and judicial power. Number four, killer application, what Ferguson calls modern medicine. All the major 19th and 20th century advances in healthcare, including the control of tropical diseases, were made by Western Europeans and North Americans. And then the consumer society. Ferguson argues that the Industrial Revolution took place where there was both a supply of productivity-enhancing technologies, and a demand for more, better, and cheaper goods, beginning with cotton garments. And it was the textile industry, centered especially in England in the early years of the Industrial Revolution, that started to meet those demands. I'd like to add another one that Ferguson hints at as a killer application, but I think is extremely important. Let's call it the work ethic. Westerners were the first people in the world to combine more extensive and intensive labor with higher savings rates, permitting sustained capital accumulation. Capital accumulation, of course, that could be invested then in building new industries, as well as in providing the financial basis for the Industrial Revolution and expansion. Now, for decades, historians have debated the role that biblical Christianity played in the formation and in the sustainment of this work ethic, and the high savings rates, and the prudent planning for the future. All of those things. In my view, I believe the case can be made that biblical Christianity played a role in that. I'm not sure it totally explains it, but Christianity's affirmation of a work ethic. I think of Colossians chapter 3 verse 22 through chapter 4 verse 1, where we truly work, but we work to the glory of God. We serve him. The Lord Christ is our boss, Paul says. And we work with diligence, we work with consistency, even when the boss isn't looking, because we are working for God. That work ethic was instrumental in so many parts of Western Europe and in the United States you cannot ignore it. It may not completely explain it, but you cannot ignore it. So in summary, what the historian Niall Ferguson is arguing with what he calls his killer applications is that the West, Western Europe, eventually the United States, had an edge over the Eastern and Asian parts of the world. He argues that these elements were the key to Western ascendancy. But... Beginning in the 1950s, Japan and then other East Asian nations began adapting these elements to their industrial model and in effect began mimicking the West. And one thinks of, in addition to Japan, Singapore, Taiwan, South Korea, and now China. The per capita GDP of all of these Asian nations is rising, with Singapore exceeding that of the United States. Its per capita income is 21% of GDP. It's higher than that of the United States. This leads me now to a second part of Neal Ferguson's argument, but it involves this matter of China. And what Ferguson does is he tries to summarize China's new strategy in pithy phrases, four of them. Consume more, import more, invest abroad more, and innovate more. Let me examine each one of these. And what Ferguson is trying to do is show how what the Chinese are now doing in mimicking the West in these killer applications— is actually helping to explain why Asia is probably going to accelerate and perhaps even surpass that of the West in decades to come. Consume more, import more, invest abroad more, innovate more. Let's examine these. One, China recently overtook the United States as the world's largest automobile market, 14 million sales a year compared to 11 million in the United States that demand <clears throat> china for automobiles is expected to rise tenfold in the years ahead that is an example of consume more and dear people that is a staggering number that if you take tenfold increase in automobile consumption that's 140 million automobiles a year Today it's 14 million. If he's right, that is a staggering number. Number 2 is import more. By 2035, by 2035, according to the International Energy Agency, China will be using a fifth of all global energy, a 75% increase since 2008. It's accounted for 46% of global coal consumption in 2009 and consumes a similar share of the world's aluminum, copper, nickel, and zinc. Last year, China used twice as much crude steel as the European Union, the United States, and Japan combined. China accounts for over one-fifth of global growth and has become the most dynamic new market for other people's goods. Import more. Invest abroad more. In January 2010 alone, China made direct investments abroad worth a total of $2.4 billion in 420 overseas enterprises in 75 countries. The overwhelming majority of these investments by China were in Asia and Africa, with the largest sectors being in mining, transportation, and petrochemicals. And finally, that fourth pithy phrase is innovate more. China aims to become the world's leading manufacturer of wind turbines and photovoltaic panels. In 2007, China overtook Germany in terms of new patent applications. Further, in 2008, for the first time, the number of patent applications from China, India, Japan, and South Korea exceeded those from the West. Neal Ferguson, in this penetrating essay, concludes his uh, argument by saying, quote, "...what we are living through now is the end of 500 years of Western predominance. This time, the Eastern challenger is for real, both economically and geographically. The gentlemen in may- Beijing may not be the masters just yet, but one thing is certain, they are no longer the apprentice." And I certainly agree with Ferguson's argument, the West, and using his argument, had killer applications which explain why they succeeded in building such a phenomenal industrial consumer society. China, especially, but as well as South Korea, Singapore, Japan, Taiwan, have learned from the West and now are putting together the structures and institutions. that, If things remain the way they are, they will exceed the West. All indications are that plan is is very much on track in our second perspective on the program today i would like to think with you about a natural gas uh, field that was discovered off the coast of israel called leviathan it's one of the most extraordinary developments in the last couple of months and certainly since 1948 at the end of december 2010 a huge natural gas discovery was confirmed in the eastern Mediterranean inside Israel's territorial waters. It is called the Leviathan Gas Deposit in the Levant Basin and marks a major development for Israel with the potential for making Israel an energy exporter over the next decade. Natural gas was first discovered off Israel's coast in 1999. But the quantity was so small that until recently, Israel was still planning on importing natural gas from Russia. The Leviathan Field, discovered by a consortium led by Houston-based Noble Energy, is the world's largest offshore gas find in the past decade and has now made Israel among the ranks of the world's largest gas reserve holders in the entire world. Now, there is a possibility in the research I've done that the Leviathan field may also contain a world-scale oil deposit because often where you see natural gas, you also find oil. We shall see if that is discovered. This Leviathan natural gas field could provide Israel with anywhere from 50 to 200 years of natural gas at current levels of consumption. In a few years, Israel will no longer need to buy gas from Egypt, which, from 2008, has provided 16% of Israel's electricity and 40% of its natural gas needs. They're no longer going to need Egypt for that. There are also numerous other effects of this astounding discovery and change in Israel's energy position in the world. Let me itemize six of these changes. This leviathan natural gas find will eliminate Israel's need to import coal, which burns twice as much carbon as natural gas, as you probably know. Israel is already working on the development of gas and electricity-powered vehicles. Infrastructure spending and foreign investment in Israel will therefore rise. Number two, later this decade, Israel could actually become an exporter of natural gas, more than likely exporting that gas to Europe. This would no doubt be done through converting the gas to liquefied natural gas and shipping it by tanker. There is now an LNG, liquefied natural gas, terminal being built on Israel's Mediterranean coast. There is also negotiations to build one on the island of Cyprus. Number three. Leviathan will enhance Israel's strategic position in at least two important ways. Liquid natural gas exports could encourage improved political ties with potential buyers, one thinks of Greece, European unions, and even strategic Mediterranean posts like Cyprus. Cyprus is a critical island in the eastern Mediterranean, with which Israel is now negotiating maritime border demarcation points and a joint agreement to develop a liquid natural gas facility. But the other major strategic influence is that with its greater wealth and its energy independence, Israel will be less vulnerable to outside pressure. And that is a critical point right now, because Israel finds itself virtually surrounded by terrorist and rogue entities. Hezbollah to the north, Hamas to the west, and of course to the east is Iran. Its border with Egypt to the south has been secure for 30 years, but with this new regime emerging in Egypt, that border could be less secure. Israel's concern about Turkey with this new natural gas fine could be reduced. Turkey was once a close ally, but has recently become closer to Iran. Number four, but this Leviathan natural gas discovery could also make Israel more vulnerable. If hostilities were to break out with Hezbollah to the north, Hezbollah no doubt would use its rockets to hit Israel's gas facilities. Number five, the Levant Basin, where this gas discovery was made, is only partially a part of Israel. The basin is shared by Gaza, Lebanon, Cyprus, and Turkish-dominated Northern Republic of, of Cyprus. It is quite likely that disputes about drilling and ownership of the basin will emerge. In that sense, this discovery could only exacerbate the tension that it already exists in the region. And then sixth, and finally, Israel's natural gas and its likely new exporting power will have quite an impact on Russia. Israel's gas exports to Europe would compete with and lead to reduced demand for Russian natural gas and thereby reduce Russia's political influence in Europe. And since Israel's gas exports would be priced by the gas market, they would further erode Russia's beneficial gas export pricing, which has been uniquely pegged to oil prices, meaning Russian natural gas costs more. This entire issue of natural gas discovered at the Leviathan fields, allowing Israel to over the next several years begin exporting gas to Europe, could increase tensions with Russia. Now it seems to me appropriate and important. To remind one another of what the Bible says. The Bible speaks of a power to the north of Israel, which, as we approach the end times, will become Israel's bitter enemy. That power will also lead to a coalition of nations that will invade Israel from the north. This natural gas discovery and the impact it will have on Russia's economy indicates again how important events in the Middle East are to the rest of the world. Leviathan, this great natural gas discovery off the coast of Israel, gives Russia another reason for interest in Israel. Therefore, no matter how one examines this Leviathan natural gas discovery in Israel, it is a monumental event in the history of this nation it could emerge as one of the most decisive factors determining the future of the nation-state of Israel and of the Jewish people. On our third perspective in the program today, I want to return to the matter of Glenn Beck and particularly summarize an article, and indeed really an essay, by Marvin Olasky, the editor of World Magazine. At one point in his life, Marvin Olasky, was a radical leftist history professor and an advocate of the communist worldview. But a number of years ago, he trusted Jesus Christ as his savior. He is now the editor, as I mentioned, of World Magazine, an important journalistic piece that has excellent essays and helps us to understand from a Christian worldview many of the events occurring in our world. Well, Marvin Lasky was asked to appear... On Glenn Beck's television program. Beck is one of the media stars on the late afternoon Fox TV lineup, as you probably know. I believe that the substance of that interview needs to be summarized. In effect, I'm going to quote verbatim for much of Alasky's account of what he experienced in his time with Glenn Beck. Beck introduced Alasky, quote, as a former communist who now believes that man can rule himself. That's a direct quote. Lasky commented, Well, not exactly on the last part. We can be people who can rule ourselves, but we were created to worship in some way, he said. If we do not worship God, we'll worship the human gods created by people. Glenn Beck then wrote on the blackboard, Can man rule himself? Question mark. He then answered the question. This is Beck speaking. Yes, you've been enlightened, educated, empowered, and entrepreneurial. Alasky responded, But the Bible says that our first sin back in the Garden of Eden was attempting to rule ourselves. Beck then permitted Alasky to use one of his famous blackboards, on which Elasky drew and explained the checks and balance systems of our country, the nation founders, their vision, because they were wary about man's ability to indeed rule himself. So originally, the United States was a mixture of monarchy, the president, aristocracy, the Senate, and democracy, the House of Representatives, with further checks and balances built in from the Supreme Court, state legislatures, and even a free press. The audience then was permitted to ask questions, and one young woman asked for help in dealing with her sense of powerlessness and her sadness. That's a quote. Olasky responded, despite the many schemes proposed by human beings, Olasky said, nothing works apart from Jesus Christ. Beck responded, that's not the way I would have answered it, but it is a good answer. Beck then offered his prescription for a disordered society. We just have to put it all in order. We have to enlighten ourselves, educate ourselves, empower ourselves, and then be creators. That's the solution. Powerfully, in my view, Marvin Olasky then concluded his summary of appearing on Glenn Beck's program in this way Clear enough. Two different views, one with God at the center. One with man at the center. Beck emphasized his position. Jefferson said, "Fix reason firmly in her seat and question the very existence of God. Beck said, "I have applied that to not just God, but everything. Empower yourself." Alasky concluded that when he went to the Gun Beck website a few days later and viewed the program, he noted that his comment, "Nothing works apart from Jesus Christ," and Beck's curt response were not there. Interestingly, they had been cut from the program. In my view, that says more about Glenn Beck's agenda than the volumes of liberal critiques of his program and of his worldview. Beck's question, can man rule himself, as a Christian can only be answered no. But if you come from Beck's quasi-humanist viewpoint— which sees empowered, educated, and enlightened humans as the solution to the human dilemma, it's not. But that's not the answer. Only Jesus Christ is the answer. For apart from Jesus, man will only make the human condition worse. Marvin Olasky articulated that very well when he appeared on Glenn Beck's program, even though a significant part of it was cut. In my view, Glenn Beck did not represent that. He did not articulate that only Jesus is the answer, because only apart from him can man truly, truly rule himself. What a study in contrast. As we summarize this, it's just with great caution and great care that we make sure we know exactly what some of these TV media gods and goddesses really are saying— and what is really behind their worldview. May God, in his grace and mercy, continue to show us and point the direction toward the Lord Jesus Christ, for he truly is the only answer.